All right, well, this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to take a moment to talk through kind of the other side of this big question that Pastor Mark has set up so well. This aim throughout this upcoming year is this question of, do I trust God? And we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We're going to take time throughout this year, apply this question in many different scenarios. But we thought, what about if we're in a season of, I don't know if I trust God or I'm struggling with trusting God? A lot of things that might have happened in this past couple of years within your life circumstances, maybe this morning of like, I couldn't get out the door. I don't trust God to even like get our whole family at the door. Like, ah, whatever it might be. But we're going to take some time to talk through this, this, this statement of, you know what? I don't think I trust God. I'm having a hard time trusting God. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard Pastor Mark set this question up of, of do I trust God and give some really good biblical precedence of, yes, we, we can trust God and there's goodness in this. But this morning, you might find yourself in a position of, I think I agree in the theory of it, but practically I am struggling with trusting God. I am struggling right now. I'm having a hard time to say yes to that question, to say, yes, I trust God. Some might think, wait, you can't say that in church. You can't even preach about that. Well, you can, because it's all over the Bible. From the Old Testament through, there's story after story after story of broken people, humans, falling into seasons of not trusting God, having a hard time saying yes to God, and maybe what he's calling them to do, or in the circumstances that occur. And the outcome, naturally, when those people are in a hard season of not trusting God, God yells at them. He calls them idiots. He says, you got to do this harder. Like, come on, come on. No, the opposite. The outcome that we see throughout the scriptures is more grace, more love, and more compassion. A truth that the God who created you will never remove his love from you, even in the middle of your doubts. So when we take a second maybe to think about what God thinks of us, what is that? When this question is asked to a lot of general populations of like, hey, what do you think God thinks of you as? Most of the time people will say, I think he sees disappointment. He's disappointed in me. God's up in heaven, just arms crossed like, man, I'm disappointed. But if we look at a biblical theology, which means using scriptures to come to a, a truth, what we see is God actually delights in his creation, in us. From the creation account of God declaring that humans are not just good, but they are very good, to Psalms, remind the reader that the Lord delights in his creation. He actually takes pleasure in his people. So much so that we see in the New Testament that God was in his only son to lay his life down. Regardless of our response of a yes or a no, he sends his son to die for us. We are made in his image. And he is never disappointed in what he has made. Now there are moments God grieves for his creation. In Genesis 6, right before Noah's flood, there's this, there's this time where God's heart is grieving for creation. He's like, man, my heart is grieving in what the creation is doing. And he has to essentially hit the reset button and wipe out all of that evil, all of that injustice. He sees righteousness in Noah, 
but his heart is grieved. But like Mark talked about last week, is God is a good and just fair judge. And when things that are ungodly, that deserve his right judgment, he will carry that out. But his heart is grieved, and that shows love. Disappointment shows disdain. Disappointment does not affirm. When we find ourselves in a season of doubt, God is not disappointed. God has compassion. He knows your heart, and he knows what you're going through. In Genesis chapter 3, this is really the, the first time ever that doubt creeps in, that humans say, I do not trust God, just flat out. And this is the garden account, Adam and Eve in the garden. God says, hey, this is all yours, just, just don't partake in the tree of knowledge, just, just, just don't do that. And they get deceived, and they say, you know what, I'm going to trust more in what that weird snake thing is telling me. I'm going to trust in what I think is right. I'm going to do this. And so in that moment is when sin and when death enter into the world. And what we see is a response from God as a picture of both grace and truth. After this happens, Adam and Eve, they feel ashamed. They're, they're, they, they feel naked because they are naked. They never realized about that before. They're like, uh, this is not good. And so they hide. They hide away from God. They hear God storming through the garden and they say, we gotta hide, we gotta hide. So God finds them. He says, what's going on? What's happening? They said, well, we're, we're, we're naked. Like, you, you can't see us. And to the, to the Jewish reader who's reading this context, that's a big deal. Nakedness in their culture, a huge no-no. To be naked before God, that is blasphemy. That's like you're dead on the spot. And so when they're reading this, they're like, oh, that's a big deal. But God does not shy away. He says, who told you that you were naked? They said, well, we just are. He's like, hmm. What we see is this, this moment of grace. He covers them up with a lamb. He sacrifices a lamb, a foreshadow to Jesus, and he covers their nakedness, their wrongdoing. But then in a moment of truth, he has to have them leave the garden because death, which is what now Adam and Eve have, cannot exist with life, which is what God is. He is pure life. Death and life cannot exist. So he says, you gotta leave. But as he has them leave, he gives them a promise of restoration. He says, there's gonna be an offspring from this that's going to right all these wrongs. So hold on, hold on to hope. It will happen. And so we see a grace and truth response from this very, very first moment of doubt. So know this right off the top, that God is not in the business of shame. He's in the business of restoration. He wants to restore who we are. He doesn't want to shame us back into trusting him or whatever. That, that's not healthy. He wants to come and restore the innermost parts of who we are when it comes to our relationship with him. So when we talk about doubt, we are not talking about shame. We are talking about being a normal person who is living in a broken world who needs a savior to intercede on our behalf because we can't do it. We need an intercessor. We need somebody to step in for us, to help us in these moments, to restore us back into faith with God. 
If you look back on the history of humans, it's not super great. We fail time and time and time again. We doubt time and time again because that seed from Adam and Eve just carries through, carries through. But we also know is Jesus has overcome that. Jesus, his love has conquered that. And we can rest in that truth that even in the middle of our doubts, we know that Jesus can restore us with his love to help usher in that trust again with who God is. So right now, I wanna give kind of like the big, big takeaway from today's message. So if you have to leave just this one point, then you can like jet out if you want to. But football's over, so I guess there's not really a reason to jet out early anymore. So you guys are stuck here forever. Um, this, is, this is the overarching theme. We can't try harder to trust God more We simply need to accept and know God's love. See, it's not about adding more trust through performance or ability. But when we know that Jesus loves us, when we say yes to Christ and accept and declare his forgiveness and his resurrection, we are restored, secured, and renewed. And then our ability and our capacity to trust God follows suit. It's not about just trying harder to trust God more. Just saying, well, I gotta just trust him more. Yeah, we're gonna see later on. It doesn't always work great. But when we submit to the love of who Jesus is, that trust is just there because we know where we stand with our heavenly father and we trust him. So I wanna just pray right now as we, as we get into more of this message. And, and, um, if, and like Kate was saying earlier, if we just need to just simply put our hands out in front of us to say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling. If you're at home at the live stream right now or listening to this later, um, just simply say, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a hard season and I, I'm struggling with, with trusting God. Just put all of your doubts, just those questions right in your hands in front of you. Just say, Lord, here they are. Here they are. Let's talk about them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come into this conversation, I pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to each one of us exactly how we need through the exact circumstance, the exact season, the exact doubts, everything that we are struggling with. Meet us there. Remind us of your love, of your compassion, of your grace. Remind us of who you are and that you delight in us, that you are not disappointed in us. Lord God, as we continue on, open our hearts and our minds to be encouraged, but also to be challenged, to be challenged to know that you are a trustworthy God and that you are consistent and you are constant even in the middle of our doubts. So Lord God, we pray this in your mighty name, amen. Now, just briefly, um, talking about struggling with uh, with trust, I wanna kind of just separate a few things Um, when it comes to maybe being in a season of saying, I don't know if I trust God. And that's separating from trusting God and like what's happening with him and the theology of that from maybe like trusting people in the church and the hurt that can occur from that and the things of like, man, I was hurt from this circumstance that I just don't trust God. I wanna just take a brief time just to separate that because I think there's there's some healing that needs to occur maybe for some of us. Uh, Maybe we've been in circumstances that have just been hurtful and have been hard, and that has put a block in some of the, the, the ways that we can trust God. I, I remember back in, in college in 2005, 2006, 
Um, there were large movements in our country during this time uh, to legalize same-sex marriage federally, especially also in California. And ironically, most politicians, both Democrats and Republicans, were actually against making it legal during this time. Even Senator Obama at the time went on record saying, like, it shouldn't be, which is crazy how much time has, has shifted. And during this time, the largest group of Christians, the National Association of Evangelicals, that represented over 46,000 churches in America, were kind of on this big type of media thing of saying, hey, this is not good. And they had all these biblical reasons, but also all of these other uh, societal and cultural reasons. And they were making lots of traction. There was really big fights, and it was becoming a big thing, if you remember that, back in 05, 06, during this time. But then in 2006, in the middle of this movement, the leader of this organization, the pastor who was very vocal about being anti this movement, who was leading 46,000 churches, was caught in an ongoing same-sex prostitution relationship that involved payment with narcotics. His church was one of the largest churches in America at the time, and it crushed everybody. Like, wait, what? Like, that guy? And it just shook everybody to the core. Trust was broken, right? Even just a few years ago in the Northwest, Mars Hill Church a thriving church and arguably one of the most influential church movements of the 21st century closes doors like that. Churches across the nation due to multiple, multiple leadership failures and multiple accounts of mistrust and not handling things right. The church closed, it folded. Again, people left the church with a mistrust, citing a loss of trust in God. They left their faith. These are hard stories, and there's many more stories I'm sure that we've all experienced. There's even stories here in the life of this church at Cheney Faith. But I want to make the case that these things are on us. It's not on God. Our trust issues lie in the outcomes of hurt people hurting people. And we sometimes can elevate that too much to a point of hurt and loss. See, Jesus said that he has come for those who are broken, those who are sick, who need healing. That it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. And sometimes we can get into a position that we think we are healthy. We don't need anything. But we need Jesus every waking moment because we still live in a world of sin and death. And there's unhealth. There's even unhealth in us that still needs healing from Jesus. And we need Jesus continually. So in this time of processing our, our trust, and I, I don't know if I trust you know, God and struggle with that, take some time to think, is it a mistrust in the people that are following the Lord and some of the brokenness that occurs from hurt people hurting others who haven't had healing in their own soul? Or is it truly that there's some stuff between you and the Lord that you and the Lord just need to deal with? So this next point is simply this. Keep to the story of God. Like, keep to the core of who God is, that he loves you, that he's there for you, he's consistent. And see the need for Jesus both in the church, the church is not perfect, but also in the world. So keep to the story of God. See what he has done throughout history and existence in his consistency and see the need for Jesus and in the church. 
In a, in a book um, called After Doubt by Dr. A.J. Swoboda, he's actually a four-square pastor. He's a theologian. Um, he's in the Northwest area. Um, he's, he wrote a book about doubt and like how do we process through some of these hard things of life when we have these questions and we have these doubts and how do we rebuild our faith back into who Jesus is. He has this interesting kind of premise um, talking about how we live in a broken world and there are some times where things will happen and it's not perfect and how that can affect how we trust and how, how we doubt and all those things. I want to read just a little bit of a quote from this section. This is what he says. He says, it's impossible to receive the good news of Jesus and our preliminary beliefs about God from a perfect community. We will unquestionably receive some element of real broken reality along with faith. This is part of following Jesus in a broken world. Consider an image. When someone goes to the hospital, they seek healing. And healing hopefully happens. But any visit to a hospital puts a patient at risk. For there are countless individuals with diseases, illnesses, contractable sicknesses at the hospital. And these illnesses can be contracted when, ironically, one goes to the hospital to get better. The category for these in the medical community is iatrogenic diseases. And that's how the gospel can work. While we may receive life-changing, the life-changing story of Jesus, a love for the Bible, a commitment to mission, a heart for justice in the community, we can pick up some iatrogenic beliefs or hurts from that community as well. And we have to heal from them later on. Essentially saying like, hey, we are going to have experiences that are gonna shake us, even in the church, even in the church that you are just all in for. We're not perfect people. We are broken people who need Jesus. And we need healing from that. So have an understanding of knowing like, man, there's, there's grace in this. There's, there, there's, there's trust that, that God is gonna use us through his Holy Spirit to do good things, but also we're not perfect. We have not arrived by any means. We need Jesus. There's ups and downs. There's moments of disbelief, anger, doubt, and so on. This is also a process of healing that we all need to go through. So if we're not separating our faith from a faith in God to that of a leader or a person, then we could be put in hard positions where we can lose our trust more easily. So we need to have some times to even self-reflect. Is my, is my mistrust in God about people or is it about actually God itself and a process through that? As a pastor, I'm aware that I have a responsibility to always point people to Jesus, not to me. Like Paul says, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, it's on our weakness that we are made strong. It's not like in the good seasons of like, I'm perfect as a pastor, so follow after me. It's like, no, we are broken people who every day are being refined by the Holy Spirit and being healed by Christ Jesus. We are only made strong in our weakness is Christ in us is the hope of glory. So again, maybe today you find yourself here, you might have been hurt from the church. You are doubting if God is a loving God from different circumstances that you find yourself in. You're struggling with that answer of saying like, yes, I trust God. You're like, no, I, I, I can't say that right now. I'm having a hard time. Well, know that you are not alone and God is not frustrated or disappointed in you. If you have shown up here this morning, if you're listening, that shows that you're actually still trusting God. That shows that you are open to receiving some healing. You're open to receiving some truth. 
with that relationship that you have, that you are not done. So I want to take a moment to look at an individual that I believe we can relate to when it comes to a struggle with trust. And that's the Apostle Peter, one of the first disciples called by Jesus to follow him, to drop everything. He, he was a fisherman. Literally, Jesus comes up to him, Simon, son of John, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he's like, wait, what? And he's like, just drops everything right there, boom, in that moment, and follows and submits to Jesus. Now, Peter, as we know throughout the New Testament gospel accounts and into the, his, his letters as well, he's fairly spicy. He says it as it is. He is like all in. He is, he just, he's, he's up to bat for his, his buddies. He's like that friend that's like gonna back you no matter what. He's like, I'm with you, man. Ah! He's just, he's all in. He is bold when it comes to his belief in who Jesus is, so much so that Jesus says, man, Peter, it is your faith that I'm gonna build the church on. Like you are bold in your faith for who I am as the Messiah. But we also see multiple times of doubt in the life of Peter. Multiple times where he literally says, I don't trust God. I don't even know who God is. I'm done. So I wanna just look briefly in Matthew chapter 14. This is a time of, of ministry for, for Jesus and his disciples, super busy. They're doing lots and lots of things. They just fed thousands of people through some miracles. They did lots of healings. They've been preaching. They are worn out. Jesus says, hey, I'm sending these people home. Like, they can just go home. Like, we're done. Church is closed. He's like, why don't you guys go to the other side of the lake? I'm going to just walk around the lake, take some time to pray, and then we'll meet up again on the other side of the lake. So verse 24 of Matthew 14 says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. So they're in the boat going across the other side. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And in that phrasing, it's the same phrasing he said earlier on in his ministry when he declared that he is the living God. It's the same way that Moses declared the burning bush, or that God declared in the burning bush that he is, I am. He is just God. He says, man, God's here. Don't worry. And Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, for context's sake, there is a carbon copy story in Matthew 8 of this. This time in Matthew 8, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, huge storm, crazy waves. They freak out. They're like, we're going to die. Jesus is just napping. They're like, Jesus, do something. And he wakes up and he's like, oh, yeah, why are you guys, are you guys freaking out? Like, just has the waves calm. They're like, whoa, you must be God because that was incredible. Well, this same thing basically happens again. You'd think like, man, they've already experienced this crazy scene of waves and almost dying in the middle of the lake. And they saw Jesus do it, but yet Jesus is right there and he's still like, ah, I'm gonna die. But what we see again is Jesus comes to Peter, not in disappointment. He reaches out and saves him. And I believe it is a teaching moment and a coaching moment for Peter. Now remember, Peter is probably soaked. He is cold. He's probably coughing up water, 
Like, there's this, it's just a scene, right? He's probably shaking, whatever it is. And you can imagine Jesus is holding Peter. Peter's probably doubting, just like, gosh, what the heck? And when he says, why are you, you know, freaking out? Why did you doubt me? It's a little faith. Peter's probably like, you heard about physics, Jesus? Like, I was walking on the water, and there's a storm, and then, of course, I'm going to sink, you know? But we don't get Peter's response. What we see, though, is, this is our next point, is Jesus comes to us in our doubt. But even when he comes to us in our doubt, and he saves us, and he's there, and he's present, he will ask us, rightly, the heart-level question of, why did you doubt me? He doesn't expect a response. We don't see that from Peter. He's just having Peter reflect. He's having Peter have a moment of like, huh, to think back maybe to that previous occurrence of the wind and the waves and the water and almost dying and all that good stuff. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't demand an answer. He just asks the question. He doesn't say, this is your last chance, Peter. Like, next time you better ship, shape up or ship out. There we go. I was going to say ship up and shape out. That wouldn't have gone great, but I already said it, so I, I would have. <laughs> but what we see is even later from this, is again, this moment for Peter, it's his glory moment. A few chapters later in chapter 16, Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, who do people say of me? And they're like, ah, oh, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're this, you're that. Then he asks them, well, who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, starting in verse 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. He's like, man, it's by faith alone that you're declaring this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, Petros. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. He's saying, man, your faith right there is good. And that's what's gonna propel the church forward. I'm gonna build my church on your faith. Not you as a person, as a human, because we know, and we just said, lost experience, humans will fail us in church. We know that. But he's building the church on the faith of what Peter has declared. He says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is huge. This is like Peter's like moment. He's just like, yeah, sweet. Like, this is awesome. Like, I'm like the number one guy right now. And he's like, I'm, I, I can do whatever I want. Like, not whatever I want, but he's like, I got the faith to really lead this church forward. He's probably stoked out of his mind. But as we go further down his story, we know that he denies Jesus three times. He has this moment where Jesus says, you are the guy. But yet, Jesus in that moment still knows he's gonna deny him. Peter will flat out say, I don't trust Jesus. I'm not a part of this. In the middle of Jesus being captured, handcuffed, beaten, flogged, toted around town, Peter denies him time and time again, three times. I always read this and I think, well, wasn't Peter the faith guy? Jesus made a really big deal about the faith that Peter had. Man, that went like that. Like, that went out the window in a moment. Peter fails hard. He misses it. He denies Jesus. Even though he said with all of his words, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am here till the end. But here's what I see from this, is Jesus simply wants our heart, not our lips. And our hearts need his love and his forgiveness. 
That's what we need to submit to when it comes to our relationship with Christ and our trust in him. Christ wants our hearts, not our lips. And our hearts need his love and forgiveness. So as Peter left dejected after he was denied, or after he denied Jesus three times, you can easily write an ending to this story as a casualty of disbelief. Another person who got caught up by a charismatic leader who then ultimately failed them. Jesus crucified, many people witness, it, witness his death. They'd say, yeah, end of story. Like, that's a sad story, man. That guy wasted a lot of his life with that Jesus dude. But we know a different story, that Jesus and God was not done. The tomb is empty. Jesus rises from the grave. He descends into darkness, but arises to the right hand of the Father. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm your Savior. I'm your hope. He says, now, let's do this thing. Let's go forward now in the Holy Spirit and make disciples of all nations. So you go, okay, so leading the church. So who's gonna lead the church? Obviously, it's not Peter who's gonna lead the church. Like, that dude failed, like, just a few weeks ago. Jesus, do you remember that? Like, Peter, he totally just, like, didn't, like, say that he knew you. Remember that, Jesus? No. Jesus sees it different. He sees our heart. And he, again, cares more about us receiving his love than trying to be perfect and try to show outwardly that we are so super trustworthy. And we get this account, and we're gonna end on this in, jo- excuse me, in John chapter 21. That after the disciples witness Jesus and, and see him in the flesh, they're kind of like, man, what do we do? And they do what they wanna do. Go fishing. <laughs> they go out fishing. That's what they do. They, they are fishermen. And they're out there and they catch nothing, nothing all night long. And they're just like, man. And I'm sure if you're a fisherman, when you're out fishing catching nothing, you think a lot. And Peter was probably thinking a lot about the past few weeks of, oh, I'm an idiot. Man, there's probably shame upon shame. He's just like, ugh. But then we're gonna pick up here in John chapter 21. And Taylor, you can go ahead and come up. Um, and we're gonna be here in verse 12. We're gonna end on this. So Jesus is now on the shore. He's he's risen from the grave. The disciples are out fishing and they see him on the shore. Jesus says this, now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Basically, go lead my church. Tend my flock. That's the first time he asks him. In verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Like, remember, you are the faith guy. I build my church on you. Then go forward and do it. The second time he asked them. Then the third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, it's in this moment that we see the heart of Jesus for restoration, not condemnation, in our disbelief, not shame of saying, man, hey, Peter, when you're gonna lead my, ch- uh, my, 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 my church and feed my sheep, 
Remember when you denied me? Like, don't do that. Like, when you were fleeing the church, just saying, like, is that, is that cool? He doesn't bring up the past. He doesn't bring up all of these circumstances and say, hey, that thing that happened back there, that was so bad. Like, ugh. No. He says, simply go feed my sheep. He affirms him. When Jesus calls him Simon, son of John, that's his old name. That's an act of affirmation saying, I see the whole person. I don't just see you in this moment. I see you as your whole entirety. And I love you. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything. He forgives them. He's not holding anything against him. And he calls Peter, the rock, back to his rightful place. And this wrecks Peter because I believe he truly experiences the love of Christ. That even in the face of disbelief and just shame upon shame, basically saying, I don't trust God. Jesus says, I love you. Do you love me? Are you you a part of this? So I just simply want to ask the question, have you been wrecked by the love of God? Has there been a moment in your faith journey where you've truly, truly experienced the love of God? Like, wow, I am forgiven. I am saved. I have hope. Regardless of what is
us in this room that just might need a moment to repent. To repent of some hard-heartedness that we've had towards you. We've held on to shame and we've built this wall out of shame that has just blocked you out. Lord, for some of us, we just offer a simple prayer of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've put my agenda before yours. so much for, for just joining with us and being a part of what we're doing. And, and I'm really excited just to continue to talk on this question about trusting God throughout um, the next little bit and leading up into Easter as well. We were talking, Pastor Kate and Mark and I, about our Easter plans. And, and man, I'm really excited what the Lord's going to do in these conversations um, leading up to Easter. So be blessed. Know that Jesus loves you. So do Mark and Kate. So do all of us here at Jimmy Faith Center. But especially Jesus loves you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you soon.